And Levi, thank you very much. Well, we're in Proverbs 17, and we flew last week all the way through verse number 15. <laughs> and so we're going to make some tracks tonight, all right? Proverbs uh, 17 and verse number 16. Good to have our good buddy, Brother Brian, back there. God bless you, sir. And I always appreciate you stopping through when you're in town. And that's a blessing. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter number 17. And let's ask for wisdom tonight as we open the book of wisdom. Get our hearts ready. And let's all determine we're going to learn something while we're here. Amen. We're going to text less and listen more. Amen. <laughs> all right. Father, we love you. We need you. Thank you for this book of wisdom. And uh, Lord, remind us of some things that we have learned and maybe forgotten or learned and not practiced like we could have. And uh, teach us some things we've not learned yet, Lord. But uh, help us to walk in wisdom because of what we study in these weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 17, verse number 16. And you can bring me down just to fudge there, Stephen. Wherefore is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom, seeing he hath no heart to it? You know, there's a man in the New Testament like this. He thought he could buy the power of God that way. Remember that story? And the power of God can't be bought. You can't buy wisdom. Not with money, you can't. And uh, so that's our statement. Wisdom can't be bought. Wisdom cannot be bought. Why would a fool come with a wad of money and want to buy wisdom? He doesn't have a heart for wisdom. He doesn't really want wisdom. He, just, he might want what wisdom brings. And by the way, a lot of people want what Christianity will bring. Could you th think about this for a moment? People don't believe in God. I may agree our world's in a mess. If people don't even believe in God. Make fun of Christianity. If everybody lived by Christian principles, it'd solve every problem this world had. <laughs> if you don't believe in God, if you would live by be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, do unto others as you would also have them do unto you. Right? Forgive others. Love your enemies. Well, that said a lot of things. Uh, but anyway, so Christianity is a good idea whether you believe in it or not. Amen? Uh, but uh, a fool, he has no, no appetite for, no desire for wisdom. And, and you, don't, you, don't, you don't buy that with a lot of money. You can borrow brains and you can borrow smarts, but you cannot borrow someone else's character, which is why you can't borrow or buy wisdom. Because wisdom is application. Wisdom is action. Wisdom isn't just what you know. Wisdom is what you do with what you know. And those three phrases, three words, uh, uh, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, which we've taught, knowledge, the accumulation of truth, understanding, uh, the uh, uh, comprehension of truth. But wisdom is the application of truth. What good is it to have a bunch of knowledge and you don't do anything with it? What good is it to read 10 books on parenting and you don't put any of it into practice, right? Now, uh, so, so wisdom, that's why you can't buy it because wisdom is the character part and wisdom is the application. Wisdom is only available to those who have a heart for it. Uh, chapter 18 is going to start the next chapter. Uh, Through desire, man having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. First thing you got to do, you got to want it. You got to want it. Folks, listen, you can change, but you got to want to change. Wisdom requires, you do understand, wisdom requires some change. Is that right? Yes. Now, the, now, now the, uh, the uh, alternative is foolishness. But if you want wisdom, you can have it. You can't buy it, 
But, but it is available. In fact, you, you don't have to pay for it. James 1, 5 says you just got to ask for it. You got to ask for it. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. Did you pray for wisdom today? Did you pray for wisdom today? Every day it will be a part of our prayer lives. Verse 17 says, A friend loveth at all times. Isn't this a sweet verse? A friend loveth at all times. Somebody says, We used to be friends. That's not true. That's not true. There's no use to be friends. Now there was perhaps feigned friendship. <clears throat> and there might be someone to whom you were a friend. But if you have a friend, you'll always have a friend because the Bible said that a friend loveth at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. You know, uh, here's a statement. Adversity reveals true friendship. Adversity reveals true friendship. When other people start turning their back and walking away, that's when the real friend thrives. The Bible said they were born for this. It's when, when, when the tough time comes and others want to turn their back and walk away, the, the, the real friend says, man, that's what I was born for this. I was born for this. is what I was born to do. And, uh, and that, 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 that's, uh, that's real friendship. That's, that's loyalty. Uh, later on, we'll read a verse in chapter 27, verse 20, says that, 10, which says, Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. Thine own friend and thy father's friend forsake not. You know, my father-in-law... Uh, Brother Sonny Stallings, uh, he worked uh, civil service for 30 years, right right at 30 years. Worked on Fort Knox. He was a printer. Uh, printed uh, top secret documents. I'd tell you what they were, but I'd have to kill you if I did, so I won't do that. But, but he printed maps, a lot of interesting things. And uh, anyway, uh, but he was just a layman, and he loved the Lord, and he reared two great kids and one of them is my wife and uh and 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 you know do you know 11 pastors attended his funeral he was a layman a printer never taught a Sunday school class never well no I'm he did teach Sunday school never 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 taught Sunday school class never preached a message but he was a loyal servant of God and a loyal friend. And that really overwhelmed our souls when we saw that. Um, turn to 2 Samuel for a moment. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15. We, we know so little of the concept of loyal friendship anymore. And the Bible said, a friend loveth at all times. We ought to stand by those who stood by us. I mean, have you ever heard the term fair-weather friends? Heard that? So fair-weather friends are not friends, right? Fair-weather friendship is not friendship at all because a friend loveth at all times. In uh, 2 Samuel 15, we have the story of Absalom who betrays his father, David. It says in verse 1, 2 Samuel 15, 1, it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him and Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate and it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment 
In other words, for uh, uh, it's like going to court. It's making an appeal uh, to the king. It's, it's, it feels like he's been done unjustly. And so he's going to the king to get uh, a, a judicial uh, uh, reconciliation. So when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him. He initiated the conversation. Here these folks are coming from around the kingdom because they have some judicial grievance and they want to see the king. And Absalom, with his, he got his, he's got his boys with him. He's got his... He's not comfortable by himself, I suppose. But anyway, but uh, but he's got his got his fellows with him, you know, and and his show of uh, whatever chariots, horses, all that. And, and the, he calls to them, so he initiates the conversation. Absalom called unto them and said, "Of what city art thou? Hey, where are you from?" And he said, "Thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel." And Absalom said unto to him, "See, thy matters are good and right." But there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. That's like the word deputy, someone appointed to represent, in other words. He says, thy matters are good. Now, wait a minute. Look, Absalom could care less about these people. This is feigned disappointment and feigned empathy that we just read. He's after something. He's after his dad's throne. <laughs> but he pretends to care. Oh, thy matters are good and right. But there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Uh, so he pretends to be disappointed. Here's what he said. He said, you know, it's too bad. You know, my dad's awful busy. And, 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 uh, and, and he don't have time for you. I can tell you that right now. I mean, you come a long way, and I, I hate it for you, everything. And you got a good case. And, 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 and truth is, you, somebody ought to help you, but he ain't got time. And he, and he won't let nobody help him. If it's not his idea, it's not, he, he ain't going to do it. So, I mean, it's just the way he is. What's he doing? Stabbing his dad in the back. <laughs> he feigned disappointment. He goes on, verse number four. Absalom said, moreover, oh, that I were made judge in the land. You know, if dad would just let me help, you know. If I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. No, I would address your concern myself if I could, but you know, dad won't let me help if, 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 but if, if, I, if I could, but I'd make it right for you, boy. I guarantee you'd get justice. He cares so much, doesn't he? Verse 5, And it was so that when any man came to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. Doc, come up here just a minute, if you would. And um, <laughs> No, ain't no kissing going on. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> But what he's saying is he comes as if to show respect. So you could just uh, go ahead and bow to me. And, <laughs> and, and it's not exactly like this, but this is the connotation. So somebody comes to show him respect. He's, oh, man, no, 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 don't do that, man. It's just me and you, buddy. And, and the kiss, <laughs> you understand, in that culture was like this in our culture. You got that? Okay, uh, and so what he's saying is, hey, I'm just a, re he's politicking. Oh, don't worry about it, I'm just a regular guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, Absalom. That's all you want to be is a regular guy. He's a stinking backstabber is what he is. He's a disloyal rat. And he gets, he gets the heart of the people. Look at, uh, go on and said, um, look at verse number six. And on this matter did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. 
So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. That was his real motive. You know what he's saying? He said, Dad, he don't really care about you. If he was, he would have been there for you. But he ain't got time for you. Oh, I wish I could help, but he won't let nobody up. You know how he is. If it's his way or the highway. But I really care. Now, if I could be in charge, buddy, I would take care of you. And people are saying, you know what? I'll tell you what, man. Absolutely. He could really, he might could really help us. And it came to pass, verse 7, after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode at Gesher. In Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again, indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he rose and went to Hebron. He, all that was under false pretense. And Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. You know what he did? He had a conspiracy going. That's what he had. And David, unwilling to fight his own son, walked away from the palace, stepped down from his throne. He said, I'm not going to fight my son. And he told, he told his officers, he told Joab, he told his leadership, he said, you don't kill my son. Don't kill my son. Now, Joab did. But uh, David didn't want to fight. Now, let me tell you something. When Absalom made his play, David's number one counselor, Ahithophel, stabbed him in the back. Shimei stabbed him in the back. His own son, Adonijah, later would make a same power play. God ended up killing Absalom for what he did. And Abiathar, the priest, who'd been such a faithful spiritual counselor to David, Later would stab him in the back. Now, adversity reveals true friendships. If ever there was a time to get David's back and to stand by David, it's when his own son attacked him. And sadly, numbers of his closest friends did not. Now, what kind of friend are you and I? I want to be a good friend. Don't you want to be a good friend? Man, to have such a friend, what a valuable thing. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Be a true friend. Lay down your life for another. Listen, don't go through life. Listen to me very carefully. If, if friendship love is the greatest of all loves, and that's what John 15, 13 says. Let, read it again. Think about it or listen to it again. Greater love hath no man than this. We're getting ready to describe the greatest of all loves. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friend. The love of a friend, which by the way, friendship is chosen. You choose to love. I, I didn't get to pick my brothers and sisters. But I did get, I do get to choose my friends. You understand that? That doesn't mean your brother and sister can't be your friend. Friendship is the most important relationship. It's what keeps all the other relationships glued together. Husbands and wives ought to be best friends. Amen? Husbands and wives ought to lay down their lives for one another. Don't be a true friend. Lay down your life for another. Don't go through life without having developed deep friendships. Now listen, you, you, don't, you don't just bump into a deep friend. That friendship is sacrificing yourself, is giving yourself away. And that's where those friendships come from. The Bible said, he that hath friends must what? Show himself friendly. 
If your life lacks depth of friendship, where do we need to go to find the solution? Where do we need to look? Somebody said it. Anybody else want to say it? Where do we need to look? In the mirror. Let me read you a little portion of a letter that came my way. Some of you might get the same updates I get. And I, this, is, uh, this is written by a divorcee. When my husband left me, I was shocked, hurt, and humiliated. Now that the years have passed, I can be honest and say that the humiliation was by far the worst of my pain. I simply assumed he couldn't live without me, so I was sure he would never leave. I didn't treat him with honor all the time because he was not honorable. But I sincerely believed I was a good wife and friend to everyone. I would have used words like kind, sweet, understanding, and fun-loving to describe myself. I went out of my way for people. I was sacrificial even. Then, with his leaving, my frame of reference was suddenly shattered. I cried for days, weeks, and then off and on for months. It's hard to explain, but at that time of my life, the extreme pain I felt seemed righteous in nature. Maintaining this righteous high ground is what kept me a prisoner of my own hurtful thoughts. It kept me from seeing the truth, and it kept me bound to what I was. For months, my thoughts were first about my ex. How could he leave me after I invested so much in caring for him and the children? Then I felt my righteous indignation come alive, and I thought he will pay in dollars by supporting me. But it's hard to maintain a constant bubbling of anger towards someone who is just gone. My heart then turned to those in my life whom I thought were my closest friends and family, even my own children. I was stunned that they didn't rush to in to soothe my soul. They were kind in their own distant ways, but they all had their own lives, their own families, and no one gathered me into their fold. All I knew at the time is that their neglect exacerbated my feelings of rejection, bringing me even greater pain. I knew my friends and even my family had gatherings that I was not invited to. I felt excluded. I had always seen myself as a loving person and certainly not a person who would ever treat a friend with so little care. How could these people be so insensitive? When I reflect on that time of my life, I can see I was not only full of anger and bitterness toward my ex, but I was also quick to be offended by anyone who didn't show concern for me. I know my conversation was negative and condemning of whoever was causing me pain on any given day. Who wants someone at their child's birthday who will pull them to the side to tra talk trash about another? Each Sunday, I played mental games with myself regarding why I couldn't go to church. My back hurt, I was coming down with a cold, I didn't sleep well last night, etc. I imagined that everyone wondered where I was and felt guilty about their lack of being a good friend to check on me. Now that I look back, I might have had sense enough that the church might not be the place I would be met with sympathy, but rather with hard, truthful love. This is what happened, and it didn't come from the pulpit. When I finally went to church, I was hit hard. One of the older, fragile ladies was standing at the door greeting people. She drew me forward for a hug. It was like that soft hug awakened that righteous indignation I had been harboring for so long. I distinctly remember feeling spiritually condescending toward the old lady, so I suspect I sounded that way too as I responded. Well, that was a surprise. I didn't know, know you even remembered I existed. Her response was not the stumbling embarrassment or profuse apology for neglecting me that I expected. Instead, she said in a very dry, reproving tone, to get hugs, you must give hugs. I was stung with hurt at her lack of compassion, and I guess she saw the sudden tears in my eyes. But she was an old lady and had obviously been through all of life's ups and downs, so she didn't budge. 
She only smiled and said something like, people are drawn to people full of thanksgiving, not to pity parties. You can't expect people who are carrying a thousand pounds of burdens to carry yours as well. It's time for you to get off your high horse, shake the dirt off, and start giving to other people. It was a rude awakening. That was the day I slowly began to wake up from my self-induced fit of blaming everyone. I guess it was the day I finally realized that if no one loved me, if no one sought to be my friend, then it was because I was unloving and selfish. I didn't have anything to contribute. I just wanted other people to put me first. I tried to get the old lady's remark out of my mind, but I knew that I had become a hard-to-love human being. Maybe I always was and didn't know it. People didn't avoid me because they were ungodly. They avoided me because I was a demanding negative drain. Somewhere over the years, while doing a lot of it, I learned that you can't accusingly demand or shame people into loving you, even your family or friends. Love is earned. Friendship is earned. The rest of the letter is a beautiful testimony about how she began to give herself away, first to one group, a group of elderly folks, and then another group, and then another group, and how the Lord gave her a brand new chapter of joy in her life by developing friendships. That's a beautiful story, isn't it? Can I tell you something, my friend? Don't go through life without learning to die to self and give yourself away and develop deep friendships. Verse number 18. A man void of understanding striketh hands and becometh surety in the presence of his friends. Now, there's two little phrases here you probably recognize. Uh, Doc, come back up again, if you will. Striking hands is equivalent to our, let's shake on it. Everybody understands that, right? So we strike hands. Hey, let's shake on that. How do you remember when you could uh, actually transact business with a handshake? <laughs> All right? Uh, now then, it's a stack of paper that tall, right? And you sign 58,000 times. And uh, thank you so much. Then the word surety uh, is, uh, is, uh, means to co-sign. Uh, to be surety for someone means that you, you put your name on a, They make a financial commitment. You put your name on it, meaning you bear responsible a responsibility if they do not follow through on the commitment. And uh, so here, uh, let me paraphrase this for you. Be cautious about financial commitments. Be cautious about financial commitments. Be cautious about financial commitments. I would say this. Most of the time, it is not wise to loan money that you cannot give. It's not wise to loan money you cannot give. Because... When it comes down to it, and, and how many understand life just really doesn't always go the way we think it's going to go, right? <laughs> I mean, it looks good on paper, but it doesn't always work out that way. And then if that commitment gets reneged in some way and you bear the burden of that, then you're either going <laughs> to you're going to lose a friendship is what's going to happen. And pretty soon the person owes you money is going to start avoiding you, not talking to you, maybe not calling, you know, not, not answering the phone or whatever. And, and it's going to bother you, it's going to bother them, and, and it's not worth it. And so if you want to give something to somebody, say, listen, it's a gift. If you ever want to pay back, it's up to you, that's your business. But I'm not going to look for it. God bless you. I hope this is a blessing. Now you do that, and God might give you much, much more back. He may or may not. May give it to you, but I know give it to you in some way, because the Bible says, given, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken, together, running over. Luke 6.38 says. So 
Uh, but but be careful about quickly making. It's so easy. It's so easy in this day. We, we what are we? How many trillion? I don't know what. Maybe somebody knows. Anybody have any clue what it is? The individual debt burden on every American. It's like, I don't know what it is. Some ungodly number: thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand, five thousand, two dollars. I don't know what it is. It's a lot per person. If you take what we owe as a nation and divide it evenly to all of us, we're all thousands of dollars in debt. And people just like, and spend stuff we don't have. And that's not wise. That's not biblical. Amen. So don't make financial commitments you can't keep. Nothing shows the lack of character in our country like the fact that a man's word no longer means much. So don't vouch for someone if you can't back it up, if you're not willing to back it up, if you can't back it up. And be careful. Young people, listen carefully. You don't need a credit card. Don't get a credit card. Now, when you start flying or there might be some situations where you need one, uh, get it and just don't use it. And if you use it, pay it off each month. Amen? Pay it off each month. Amen. This is exciting, isn't it? Boy, <laughs> that is good advice. Verse number 19. He loveth transgression that loveth strife. And he that exalteth his gate seeketh destruction. Don't feed off controversy. Don't feed off controversy. I know that the news media, that's what they love to find, controversy and dispute out all the time. Everywhere we go, it gets hits, it gets likes, it gets views. Uh, but the Bible said, he that love a transgression, love a strife. He that love a transgression, love a strife. Later on in chapter 26, verse 17, the guy that uh, goes, takes up somebody's cause is not his. It's like a, uh, 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 taking a dog by the ears. He's, he wants to get in somebody else's fight all the time. Don't feed off controversy. Some people can smell strife. Some people can smell controversy. You got a problem with so-and-so? You're so excited by that. Um, don't, don't, don't get caught up, especially in somebody else's controversy. Uh, be a peacemaker. Amen? Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Verse 20. He that hath a froward heart findeth no good. That's an interesting statement right there. Findeth no good. What kind of person is that? Findeth no good. He that hath a froward heart findeth no good. And he that hath a perverse tongue falleth into mischief. So here's a guy, the word forward here means unwilling to yield, ungovernable, disobedient, peevish. Hebrew, uh, Webster's 18.28 helps you with that. Forward, unwilling to yield, ungoverned, cannot be governed, disobedient, peevish. The forward heart findeth no good. Here's a guy, you can't tell him anything. He's ungovernable, governable. He's peevish. He's disobedient, he's unwilling to yield, and he that hath a perverse, twisted tongue falleth into mischief. Let me give you this statement. Don't become the guy with a distorted view of life. Don't become the guy with a distorted view of life. It's a, you're at a bad place in your life where you can see no good. That's a bad place to be, isn't it? When you, you can see no good in any situation. Yes, we were talking today, and uh, we uh, got choked up a little bit together. 
And we were just talking about today about the goodness of God and things that just in recent days that God has done just really just sweet, special things. Some of them little, some of them very significant. And it's just like that verse, God daily loadeth us with benefits. It's like, wow, man, this is awesome. You know, you can't hold it all. The blessings are falling off. And, uh, and, I, and I had just read this. Let me read this little story. This is by Henry Ward Beecher uh, back in the 1800s. This is, this is a neat little story. If one should give me a dish of sand and tell me there were particles of iron in it, I might look for them with my eyes and search for them with my clumsy fingers and be unable to detect them. But let me take a magnet and sweep through it and how it would draw to itself the almost invisible particles by the mere power of attraction. Listen to the application. The unthankful heart like my finger in the sand, discovers no mercies. But let the thankful heart sweep through the day, and as the magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every hour some heavenly blessings. That's a great thought, isn't it? Don't you want your heart to be a magnet for the goodness of God? Some people, I think, fancy themselves to be insightful because they can find all the bad in everybody. No, you're not insightful. You're just sour. <laughs> Ask God to give you a magnet for a heart. Amen? It just picks up all the good stuff going around you all the time. Look at verse number 21. He that begetteth a fool doeth it to his sorrow, and the father of a fool hath no joy this is in conjunction with verse number 25. Drop down and look at that as well. These are very similar. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her that bear him. Uh, these could go together. I'll just combine them into one. Here's a statement for both verses. Young people, listen. Determine to bring joy to mom and dad. Determine to bring joy to mom and dad. In 3 John 1, 4, John wrote, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Young people, listen, I hope and pray that your, your parents never know the heartbreak of a wayward child. I promise you this, many a parent would, if they could, give their own life to see their child restored to walking in truth and wisdom. Kids, don't you let this world make a fool out of you. Don't you do it. There's too many godly examples that God has given you. And there's too many people, people who have been reclaimed by the world who have been there and done that and can tell you how awful it is for you to miss it. Don't let the world make a fool out of you. Determined to bring joy to mom and dad. Esau was bitter, and his brother was a rascal. But Esau got bitter about it. And the Bible said when he was 40 years old, he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beriah, the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Listen to this phrase. Which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah, his mom and dad. Which were a grief of mind to his parents. Let me say, young people, listen to me. Listen to this very carefully. And this is a little sensitive, but it needs to be said. Unholy ties become permanent ties. 
Now, you get you a wild hair, and you go out in the world, and you start acting a fool, and then you start begrudging the people who taught you wisdom as though somehow they ruined your life and stole all your fun. Now, you just keep this in mind. You entangle yourself, and you start relationships, and especially when you start having children, now then you have created permanent ties. And for what? I'm all man. Well, congratulations. You can make those choices, but you don't get to choose the consequences of those choices. And some of you are going to care for the rest of your life. Uh, in, um, if Brother Matt was here, he could tell you this. But in a lot of the Asian cultures, uh, when you go in someone's home, you take your shoes off. Anytime I go to uh, Paul's house, uh, Paul's son's home in Savannah, his wife, um, I slept my shoes off. That's just a cultural thing for a lot of Asian people. Um, when I, I've been to the Western Wall on three different occasions, and I, when I go to the Western Wall, I wear a kippah. I look cute in it, my little hat. I'm not Jewish, but I ain't no sin in having a cap on. I don't, I'm not trying to offend anybody. Understand? The Temple Mount where Jesus Christ was crucified and where Abraham um, sacrificed Isaac <clears throat> um, is controlled by the Muslims. The Mosque of Omar is there. And um, when we went up there, now we're, we're, we're independent fundamental Baptists. <laughs> and some of our ladies... They, they, had a, they had a pile of clothes as we went on the Temple Mount. And some of the ladies had skirts below their knee. They had to pull this other skirt and put it over their clothes that would went all the way to the ground. Some of them had sleeves right here. They made them put a jacket on, cover up their arms. Now, you, I guess you could tell them, I ain't doing that. I guess you could. But you ain't visiting the Temple Mount. Now, look, look, listen, can I make you a point? If we had enough sense to do that, because I'm not Muslim, but I did want to see the Temple Mount, so I, I acquiesce. If I got enough sense to put a cap on when I visit the Western Wall, a holy site for the Jewish people, I don't want to offend. If I got enough sense to do that, then you ought to have enough sense to respect your godly parents who taught you principles and principles of separation and godliness and not flaunt your worldliness when you visit them later when you have your own families. If you are not, you say, well, I just believe differently. If you're not secure enough in what you believe that you have to flaunt it in front of other people you know have convictions that they've taught you, I question just how confident you are in what you're doing. Why do you need to make a point? I, I respect your individual soul liberty and your right to decide what you think is right before you and God. But if I can wear a kappa at the Western Wall and ladies can put on a, a floor-length skirt to go on the Temple Mount and I take my shoes off when I go to the Cambodian's house, then you ought to have enough sense to do the same thing for your mother and father. Hello. 
and amen, amen. I wish I was down there. I'd be shouting amen right now. You're, you say, well, I'm enlightened. Okay, well, let me help you. Your enlightenment, enlightenment does not give you the right to disrespect your parents. Amen. Let's, let's get one more real quick. You ready? No, no, we're not going to. I can't do it fast. We're done. 808. <laughs> I looked at my notes. It's not, it's not a short one.